Genre. Franchiseography, the podcast that digs deep into the entire filmographies of Hollywood's biggest film franchises. I'm Scott Corelli. I'm Nick Jimenez. Today, we are continuing our mini-series on the X-Men franchise with the first proper sequel since the release of X-Men The Last Stand. That is 2013's The Wolverine. And we have a guest joining us to talk about snake ladies, heart spiders, and hot adamantium swords <laughs> is writer and fellow podcaster Benny Bennett. Welcome to the show. Hey, everybody. Happy to be here. Really excited to talk about this movie. Yeah. So growing up, what was your experience with X-Men just in general? Oh, man. So I, I wasn't as much of a, of a comic fan, but the, the original X-Men movie seen in theaters back in 2000 was huge for me. It was the first DVD that I pre-ordered at Borders and went to go pick up a couple months later. And since then, I've always just been, you know, X-Men movies for me were like opening night kind of kind of movies. This one I haven't seen since it was out in theaters. Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of the sort of reboot series starting with First Class. And I, I remember enjoying this one, but I feel like it sort of got lost in the mix for me a bit. Sure. And going back through it again, I realized that I, I think we hold Logan up as like kind of the pinnacle of, at, at the very least, Wolverine's story. And yeah. I think this movie deserves to be a little closer to that. Yeah. It was really great going back through it and you know i've been re-watching the movies along with your guys's podcasts about it so i'm i'm interested to kind of like redefine my my view of this movie as i'm about halfway through the x-men franchise now yeah nice nick do you remember seeing the wolverine definitely definitely i i i mean wasn't really hyped for it mm-hmm. and was kind of confused by it mm-hmm I mean, in the wake of first class, I was like, oh, okay, so we're just doing this again. Right. You know, because like first class felt like such a breath of fresh air. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, it was like, God, the hair is starting to look weird. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, dude. And I remember being really, really, as a movie nerd, still mourning the Darren Aronofsky movie. Oh, that, yeah. Like, this was supposed to be made by, you know, and I, I was like, mm-hmm. I didn't really, Mangle didn't really mean what, it, what he does to me now. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, I remember really liking it. But then at home with my roommate in college watching the Ultimate Edition or whatever. The extended cut. The extended cut. And then really digging that. And then was like pro this movie, but still not like one that I've ever gone back and revisited before the show. Yeah. 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 I mean, I I, I saw this too. And I, I remember really liking it. And I remember the reviews at the time 
just talking about the cartoonish antics of the third act of like, oh yeah, we thought this movie was going to be different. And then we get to the third and it's the third act. And like the, the movie's just like a a big dumb superhero movie again. And I remember even at the time thinking, I don't know that that's fair, Yeah, but I've only seen the theatrical version. The one time that I saw it in theaters, I revisited it last year with the extended cut and the extended cut honestly kind of blew me away. And that's what we watched this time because it's a better movie. And I I remember like people would always say that about the Daredevil movie, the 2003 Daredevil movie. Mm. They're like, well, you don't like it. Well, have you seen the director's cut? And it's like, yeah, I've seen the director's cut. It has 90% more Coolio. Like I, you know, <laughs> like I what like that's not, that doesn't make the movie better. Like it's still a bad movie. This, I feel like just adds some air into it and just like space and mood. And it doesn't, I don't remember a lot of differences in terms of the plot, but I do think it feels more like a James Mangold movie than a Fox X-Men movie. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think the theatrical cut feels the opposite. It feels more just like, oh, like this is just another Fox X-Men movie. And I really, really love the extended cut. And I agree with you, Benny. I think this should be talked about as on the level of of Logan. You know, like I, I, I feel like these last two Mangold Wolverine movie should be talked about about uh, like amongst some of the best comic book adaptations of all time. It's really stellar. And honestly, as an adaptation of that Chris Claremont, Frank Miller yeah. comic, this is an, an incredible adaptation. It's everything you want from an adaptation. It, it takes literal stuff from the comic but then also adapts it in a new way to tell a new story that isn't the comic. It's like vibes, basically. It's like, okay, <laughs> you know, like the feeling you had reading that? That's what we're going to try and recreate yes. here. We're not going to, we're not going to do a literal adaptation. Yeah, we're not going to bend gonna over Zack backwards. This. To, yeah. Right. Yeah. We're not going to do a shot for shot recreation. We're just going to, it's like, we want you, we want to recreate the feeling that you had reading that book, but in theaters. And I think they did an excellent job as long as you're watching the extended cut. So that brings us into development on this movie. And as Nick alluded to, the initial, you know, director attached to this movie was Darren Aronofsky. Darren Aronofsky was hired after working with Hugh Jackman on The Fountain. Mm -hmm. And Hugh Jackman loves working with directors that he's worked with before. And so he brought in Darren Aronofsky to work on this. Christopher McQuarrie was hired to write the script after the script was first offered to Simon Beaufoy, who was fresh off of his uh, very successful one-two punch of Slumdog Millionaire and 127 Hours. Mm. He ended up turning the job down because he did not feel confident because he was unfamiliar with the material and was just like, I don't know that this is for me. He ended up the same year writing a draft of Catching Fire. So Darren Aronofsky and Christopher McQuarrie and Hugh Jackman are all working on this Wolverine movie. And what it basically came down to, the reason that it fell apart was not creative differences. It was not, you know, uh, we don't like how artsy you're making this or whatever. It wasn't anything like that. It was literally just Aaron Aronofsky being like, I'm going to be working on this movie and be away from my family for almost a full year. Just like in Japan, making this movie. And he was just like, I'm just, I don't want to. Like, I don't want to do it. Like, and he just decided he didn't want to do it and just bailed on the whole thing. And upon bailing, they they started looking for other directors. Now, here's the thing about this. This is, this is one of those 
nerd geek franchise projects that is like elevated and put on a pedestal to be like, oh, what what could have been the mm-hmm. Darren Aronofsky Wolverine movie? What could have been? And I read the Macquarie script this morning. Oh. And guys, it's not good. Uh, <laughs> it's 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 not good. And it's a bummer because Macquarie has said this is one of the scripts that he's most proud of. And I hope that that's still not true because he's definitely written better scripts since this. This is not great. First of all, throughout it, Wolverine is like low-key racist. It's like a lot of Asian jokes. Yukio in this script is, is first of all, a man. And second of all, Wolverine just calls him Kato the whole movie. It's not even clever. (laughs) No, it's just like, I guess it's just a riff on him being a bodyguard. I don't know. There was this quote of Hugh Jackman. Like one of the things he was interested in was the idea of Wolverine being this anarchic Ronin that doesn't know about honor and tradition. And so when he comes to Japan, he's like really disrespectful and doesn't, and then, and then learns to like. You know, and there's like his snippets of that, but it's like really vague. We're like, oh, he's using chopsticks wrong or does it yeah. or holding mm. the sword with both hands. And this feels like more heavy and like he really doesn't mm-hmm. respect any of this. Right, right. Yeah. And it opens with like a five minute sequence, a five page sequence talking about the history of this war, this war between these two factions Basically, like the red team and the black team, like that's that's how they're differentiated. Um, is that one wears red and the other one wears black? And about this challenge to the throne and how they decide, like the the the, the squad, like the, their leader becomes old, and then they're like, okay, people are going to start challenging the throne to take over, and we get to decide who the challenger is, and then they have no choice but to challenge the throne, and then if they win, they become the new leader. And then so on and so forth throughout history. Mm. And so the whole storyline of this is that they've decided that Logan should be their new leader. And so they just like try to kill him the whole movie. It's been a while since I read the Claremont Miller, like that arc. Is that closer to what that is? Not really. I will say that the Silver Samurai is in this. There are no other mutants in the script except for Wolverine. He's the only mutant in the whole oh, story. Or even Viper and all that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. There is a character named Viper, and she's a chemist, but she is not a mutant. Is her name, um, is her name Dr. Viper? Or is- <laughs> I don't know. They just call her Viper. Okay. I don't know. So it's it's a lot of honor and things like that, but there's not there's not a big connection to Wolverine as a character the oh. way that there is in the final film. Got it. It's very yeah. much just like a... Oh, I'm like it's it's like it's like lost in translation he's just for like here Wolverine for it. or like yeah. Big Trouble in Little. Like he he's mixed up in this plot that he doesn't have a lot of emotional investment in. Yeah, except for the fact that he just fucking loves Mariko. Like as soon as he sees her, he's like hell yeah. And then it's like the whole movie is about him just being like, why are you gonna get married to that guy? Like look at this beefcake, right? Come on. <laughs> um, it's like a lot. It's a lot of that energy, mm-hmm. which was just like not fun. Because in the comics, like, Mariko was like an old flame from his past, right? Yeah, and that's not here. It's this the, in the Macquarie script. It's very similar to. 
the final movie where he meets her for the first time, mm-hmm. but it's very like aggressively like I'm gonna I'm gonna hit that. Yeah, whereas in this like, mangle, where, <laughs> which I'm just like that's which is even like so much even, less interesting. Honestly, yeah, and yeah. like uh, Wolverine's never been like a horny character or like a womanizing character. To, no. to the extent that he is in the comics sometimes, I guess. But to me, yeah. he's much more, even to its credit, in the Gavin Hood Wolverine movie, he's much more of like a swooning romantic novel figure. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And then there's like, there are sequences throughout the script that are taken, lifted, in like, exactly out of the comic. Like, it opens with, after the five-minute sequence about the warring factions, the prologue, it opens with him on the side of a cliff tracking a grizzly that has killed Mm. five people and finds the grizzly fights the grizzly and then realizes that the grizzly had gone crazy because he had poison in his in his body man goes down to the thing and beats the shit out of 40 guys all of that happens exactly including someone punching him in the face with a mug (laughs) a glass mug all of that like directly lifted out of the comic and there's a few sequences like that in it but overall i was very unimpressed with this script it does, however, feel very much like a Darren Aronofsky movie. It has that vibe. And so it really did feel like Christopher McQuarrie was writing a Darren Aronofsky movie, not really a Wolverine movie. And I'm, I'll be perfectly honest, guys, I'm really glad we got the version of the movie that we got. We got the better movie. This would not have been good. In the McQuarrie script, is there as much of an emphasis on the fallout from Last Stand with No, uh, so it's Logan not even a Jean? sequel. It's a prequel. It's another prequel. Oh. Yeah, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it is set in the 80s. Mm. This this particular, I think. I well, maybe not. There's at one point there's a 100 inch HD TV. Um, <laughs> but uh, so so that says that it's it's so it's so high def that it makes reality look grainy. Um, is how it it's described <laughs> in the script. So so I don't know where this takes place actually. Now now that I think about it, I assumed it was a prequel because it's definitely he doesn't make any reference to the X Men or Xavier or Gene or anything. Right. So I don't know. The movie that we do see has two very interesting writers credited to it. Do you have any information yes. on that? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So so after Aronofsky left, they reached out to a few other directors. The first person who expressed interest and was like i am ready i'm gonna direct this movie that i want to do this now that he's gone i'm gonna come in i'm gonna do this and that was guillermo del toro wow so guillermo del toro was like i'm gonna direct the shit out of this movie and then so he comes in they work it through and he's like this is what i want to do i want to do this i want to do this i want to do this i want to rewrite the script i want to do this and fox is like no thank you <laughs> and he was like okay see ya so he just left because he was like he was like one if i if this isn't exactly what i want it to be i don't want to be attached to this for two to three years i was i was lost in the hobbit ether mm-hmm. and i'm just out of it so i don't want to do that instead i'm going to go make my giant robot movie and that's what he did so so he left yeah, this he project he went from the hobbit to this and then left this to go do pacific rim thank god yeah <laughs> I mean, I, I don't, I think that it could have been cool. I think it could have been cool, but if there's a chance that we wouldn't have gotten Pacific Rim, sure, yeah, <laughs> I don't know if enough. I would trade. Fair enough, fair enough. So he left, and then they went out to a few other directors. So there's Jose Padilla was one of the directors that they went out to, Marcos. or Padilla, and he is fresh off of Elite Squad, The Enemy Within, a lot of Portuguese language films. His English language debut ended up being the RoboCop, RoboCop? remake. Yeah. 
But that had not happened yet. So that's what happened when he didn't get this job. He went and did RoboCop. They talked to Doug Lyman, Anton Fuqua, Mark Romanek, who was like attached to every movie at this point and then never got anything off the ground, basically. And then you had Justin Lin was an option, hmm. which would have been a really interesting guy for a Wolverine movie, I think. He also did Tokyo um, Drift with, is it William Lee, I think, was in Tokyo Drift? Oh, you're right. right? I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 We we've just been rewatching those, and I Uh, as I was watching this, I knew that I just seen Mariko's like crooked fiance. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then we have Gavin O'Connor, who had directed Warrior and would go on to direct The Accountant, the the Ben Affleck uh, classic. Gary Shore, and then finally James Mangold, and James Mangold's connection to this movie and his eventual hiring just sort of happened <laughs> it was it was just sort of like a well we've gone through everyone else so i guess it's you he he had done 310 to yuma he had done i think night mm-hmm. and day was his last film he had like one foot out of director's jail at this point right right <laughs> and so they were like they're like yeah let's let's do this because i think I think after those two movies, like, didn't do super well. I don't think 310 to Yuma, like, it's, like, people really like it, but I don't think it did particularly well at the box office, and I think it was fairly expensive. Night and Day did basically nothing. Mm-hmm. I, I, to this, to this day, I learned that James Mangold directed that movie a year ago, and I could have swore up and down that it was McGee. Like, if you would have <laughs> asked me a year ago who directed Night and Day, I would have been like, oh, well, McGee, right? And it's like, no, it was, it was James Mangold. <laughs> which is insane. So so he he uh ended up coming on as directing it and then we got we got uh, Mark Bomback came on to rewrite the Macquarie script. Mar- Mark Bomback of course being most notable as the writer of the Planet of the Apes remake films, uh specifically Dawn and War. Really oh. really great. Really really great screenwriter and is now has written or co-written The Batman. So he's mm. he's very much in the uh Matt Reeves partnership right now so you had mark bomback writing this and yeah i mean they basically did a uh, a page one rewrite uh, later scott frank came in and did some like last minute rewrites Scott frank who i believe had worked with mangold in the past so i think he was kind of like mangold's on-set guy oh cool yeah so they like he like came in and worked with him to like get everything at the tone that he wanted mm-hmm. the movie to be. And I don't know, like having just been obsessed with Queen's Gambit, like a lot of us last year. Yeah. Yes. The sparseness and effectiveness of that dialogue. Yes. I yes. felt a lot of that watching the Wolverine. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Scott Frank is a great writer. You know, going back through his, you know, the things that he had, had written, he had written Get Shorty. That was like his big thing that put him on the map. And then mm-hmm. that was followed shortly by Out of Sight. Which, you know, like that one-two punch of Get Shorty out of sh- sight, it was like, okay, this guy, this, this, this is a guy. This, this is a guy that we're going to use a lot. Pulpy, effective character, but still, like, entertaining. Right. Absolutely. We would go on to write Minority Report, Flight of the Phoenix, The Interpreter, and then, of course, the year 2008, the seminal classic, Marley and Me. That <laughs> bastard. Yeah. <laughs> um, Get that money. So... <laughs> so you you really had the one two punch of these two really great screenwriters coming in doing a page one rewrite basically throwing out everything that Christopher McQuarrie had done and writing the movie that we get James Mangold at the time I mean this is a guy like we talk about a journeyman director but like you look at his 
filmography and it's really nuts. Like his first credit as a writer is Oliver and Company. He had a writer director uh, contract with Disney in 1985, fresh out of college. They gave him a writer director. Uh, he had never directed anything before that, just like student films. And they were like, you're, you're going to be a guy like we're 1985 fresh out of college. Here you go. You got a, you got a contract with us for three years after Oliver and company, that contract ended. He never directed anything for Disney. He only wrote Oliver company and he hmm. used the money that he earned from that to go back to school. And he got a master's degree at Columbia university. And then out of that, he directed his first film called heavy. Oh, Liv Tyler. Yeah. Yeah. Starring Liv Tyler. That was his first film. And then he went on to write and direct Copland, which Nick and I just visited for the first time a few weeks ago and absolutely rules. And then would go on to do Girl Interrupted, Kate and Leopold, which is where he met Hugh Jackman. And then Identity, Walk the Line, 310 to Yuma, Night and Day. And that finally brings us to the Wolverine. And he's just a guy who's been, he's had his fingers in every genre that you can think of. He's really become... I, you know, he's a guy that I just trust as a filmmaker. I think, I think that like, even when he goes into, cause like identity is a, is kind of a, like a B movie, you know, it's mm-hmm. heightened for sure. It's a heightened B movie, but it's certainly a B movie. And even that has a level of sort of class to it that is just really impressive. And yeah, I just, I think James Mangold yeah. is a, is a phenomenal director. Um, and I love this movie. Yeah. You know, the more there is this real fork in the road moment in like going back to the Aronofsky of it all of what's really cool about this movie and revisiting it mm-hmm. is the workmanness of it. You know, the yes. phrase workman director is usually used dismissively as opposed mm-hmm. to something like Darren Aronofsky, who is an auteur who makes Darren Aronofsky movies. And mm-hmm. Darren Aronofsky movies are about the limits that we bring our bodies to for obsession and love and addiction. And Wolverine is like right in that wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. But like what Scott said with the screenplay, it, it, it doesn't pay too much mind to the X-Men mythos. Or like Wolverine, like, what's his character like? What's behind the, what's all this stuff doing to him? But what the first move this movie makes, the Wolverine, is it uses something from a not well-liked movie that came out seven years ago yep. Yep. and makes it the emotional core of this whole movie. Where yep. it's so in vogue for a director to be like, I'm king shit. Everything that happened before sucks. I'm here now. Here's like, no, we're being passed this ball. Let's keep, let's keep mm-hmm. going. Let's honor what came before. Yeah. I, I think that's such a strong aspect of this movie. You know, I, I, we're at a time now with like the MCU and stuff where so many productions have an obligation to like set up the next one and don't necessarily spend enough time dealing with the consequences of the previous installments. You know, kind of like a scene and sequel way of writing. There's a reason why that works really well is because it gives that that sense of of continuity and and how satisfying it is to be closed out. And it's it's so interesting that they took a a pretty much universally disliked entry and just started with that. You know, I, I feel like nowadays it's all about retconning and like you said, like it's all about undoing. And this is it, it. That's almost the inciting incident uh, for this this movie, and I I think that was bold, and I think it pays off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's you know they they ultimately they made this a film about grief and what that does to you in terms of 
what what would it mean to live forever and see like everyone that you care about die <laughs> you know and and what what that would feel like and they go even heavier into it with logan in the next one but this is all about that about immortality being like wasted on on someone who's miserable mm-hmm. and and doesn't want power just just you know continues on i mean they call him a ronin in this movie and i think it, it's very accurate in this version of the film uh and yeah let's get into it yeah so this takes place you know x-men last stand came out seven years ago so in in my brain i'm like okay he's been in mourning for seven years at least yeah because it's interesting because the end of x3 it seems like he's like here i am headmaster of the school i'm gonna be helping the kids and mm-hmm. doing the thing and it's like well, how did we go from there to, to this <laughs> well, something one, never one day he was at the mess hall and then he just had one triggering memory and it was just like whoosh, just downhill i'm out running through the campus with no pants i'm going back to canada <laughs> It was never really something that I felt like Logan would do, you know? I mean, he was always yeah. so hesitantly involved with anybody there. Yeah. That it's something Gene would do, he instinctively, but it's not yeah. something that he would do. He instinctively goes to steal Cyclops' motorcycle again and then remember Cyclops is dead, which makes it even like worse. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. But yeah, he's like living yeah. in the woods. He's going full Grizzly Adams. Oh, but before that, we get a really cool cold open, mm-hmm. Nagasaki. And listeners, I, I I did the research. So we learned in the first Wolverine movie that Logan and Leah Schreiber were storming Normandy Beach. Mm-hmm. This is roughly like a year and change after that. Okay. Right. Okay. So like the timeline can, can fit. So he's like somehow separated from Victor because they haven't broken up yet. But right. uh, he has been living in this POW camp for American soldiers. He's met one guy, one guard. And I, I really like how the first scene of this movie is an act of mercy. Mm-hmm. It's Wolverine, seemingly for no reason. We kind of learn later on that there was some reason of like, I'm going to save mm-hmm. this guy from the other, quote, other side. And it's great. It's just like a really, it, 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 to me, it felt like it was honoring kind of the opening of the first X-Men, which opens with, you know, concentration camp and, and treats it yeah. with seriousness and somberness. Yeah. No, it's, it's a great opening sequence. And I, it sets up everything and really you know it is it is i think the thing that i'm most interested in in terms of this character that he saves this soldier who becomes you know the silver samurai <laughs> at the end of the by the end of the movie how he went from someone who saw that the POWs would have no chance of surviving unless he set them free and that doing the honorable thing, despite the fact that they're in the middle of a war, to this guy who's like, I'm going to literally suck <laughs> the powers out of your body. It's it's really, it's a hard fall for this character yeah. who used to be so honorable. Like Holly Hunter said, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Good old grandma's <laughs> tea. And then, uh, yeah, then we get, you know, Grizzly Adams... <laughs> Uh, we get the bear. He meets a bear, but then the bear gets killed because hunters are stupid. And like, yeah, he is not in the X Men. I don't think we ever hear the words X Men said in this movie. I don't, I don't think, think so, so. Now that I think about it, yeah, um, I don't think so. And yeah, I'm I'm hmm. I'm into it. And then yeah, yeah, I love I love this whole bear sequence. I love the the scene where he comes across the bear and has to kill the bear to put it out of its misery. He's only good at one thing. Um, 
Yeah, it's just it's it's really heartbreaking to watch it happen, and you feel for for Logan when he makes the the decision to go to that like honky tonk bar, yeah, and just it, like yeah, it, it in comparison <laughs> fuck shit for up. sure, yeah, and in comparison to the first movie, it the first Wolverine movie, I should say, it feels much more. He's not just like a random action movie dude. It it's the, the yeah, sensitive, right. tortured guy that we've been watching for thirteen years now. Yeah, yeah. He is met by he's always he's fucking shit up like Scott said, and then he's interrupted by Yukio, played by Ria Fukushima, who is far and away hands down my favorite part of the movie. Steals the whole show. It's she's crazy. It's absolute horseshit that she's never been in another X Men. It is total horseshit, and they set it up so beautifully. Her character was, but oh oh, oh is, is it right? one of those like uh, where she looks totally different is played by a different actor? Well, she was she was recast for Deadpool too. That's Yukio? That's Yukio! That is Yukio. Oh, Hi, Wade! Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll allow it, because I like that version of her, too. <laughs> Very different, but... Um, I'm, I'm so upset that that's the same character. That character has the power to see people... Die. The way they die? Yeah, what's Yukio's mm-hmm. powers in Deadpool 2? I don't think we ever learn it. Wow, oh, man. Matt, that's such a bummer. Matt, yeah, because yeah. it was... Um, I, I, I forget... I'd have to look it up. It was... um. Uh, Shiori Kutsuna played yeah. her in Deadpool 2. Okay. And really, really no mention that there's any any connection there. Yeah. That's I guess such a you bummer. know they do have a, a finite amount of characters to pull from for those movies. I would but, watch like two a whole trilogy of just Yukio bodyguard of Logan, you know? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I yeah, I really like that character a lot. I I like the character in Deadpool 2, but like that's not the, it's not the same character. It's weird that it's well, supposed well, to be the well, same they do character. That all, they do that all the time. Like Stephen Merchant is in Apocalypse. Right, right. True. Uh, whatever, Caliban yeah. or whatever his name was. So mm-hmm. Yukio right. is the ward, kind of. She's an unofficial member of this business family run by Ishiro Sanada. And Ishiro is the guy from Nagasaki. He's the guy that Logan saved. He has now become this super mega wealthy tech businessman. And he's like, I have sent Yuki. Yukio has been sent to like collect Logan and bring him back to Japan because the man, the old man is about to die, and he wants to thank Logan for saving his life all those Say years goodbye, ago yeah. at Nagasaki. And I, I I like the little touch of like Yukio is a fan. She's like like I know who you are. Yeah, it's freaking cool. Like I'm into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I love I love all of that. I also I think they found a really good balance of the sort of disrespect that logan has for all of these like cultural things they found a good balance of like yeah he's disrespectful he doesn't understand it all but also he's not mark Wahlberg. And he's not gonna be an asshole yeah, yeah. yeah he's not gonna be an right. asshole yeah, it's not, it. it doesn't come from a place of malice or anything it's he's like that yeah. to everybody right you know, he just like, has such disdain for for cultural ig- yeah things. ignorance he's he's <laughs> Yeah, he's dismissive, but he's not like rolling his eyes at it the way that he is in the Macquarie script. Got it. That's so interesting. Yeah. We get a call back to the first Wolverine movie. Logan hates flying. Doesn't like flying. Oh. Sure does. <laughs> sure oh, does. and then we get, we have, uh, he's having visions of Jean Grey, played by Fanky Jamson. Yes. Right. Yeah. Somehow they, they got her back. It's, that's. <laughs> It's it's interesting that they did that that they that they chose to do that because it's an important part it's an important aspect of the of the film but it is surprising from like an actor standpoint that you would be like oh yeah sure I'll come back and just 
only do these scenes where I'm like in a nighty, like making out with maybe yeah, Hugh Jackman. Three days on set. Yeah. yeah. You know, it weirdly, yeah. it's kind of some of the most nuanced acting that she's gotten to do in these movies. Right. Where it's like quiet. Like you said, this is a movie with a lot of quiet conversations and reflective moments. And yeah. I noticed that now the nostalgia has kicked in. And in 2013, right. mm. I'm like, oh, Gene, they got Famke. This is, oh, look at their chemistry. Ah, oh, I love, I ship. Yeah, because this is, this is seven years yeah. after The Last Stand. This is the first post-Last Stand movie in seven years. Mm-hmm. That's huge. I, I will say, all of that is true, but it's all meta text, because in the text of the story, I'm like, you fuckers only knew each other collectively for a week. Like... <laughs> This is ridiculous. I don't, you guys, I don't know. I mean, one and two, that's at least like a year, right? Oh, but then he takes, he, he goes off and he fucks yeah. off to Canada for so yeah. long. Yeah, he fucks off to Canada for, mm-hmm. for a whole year and then comes back oh, and man. then she's dead and then she's gone and then she comes back and it's not really her. So it's like, right. oh, that's a good point. It's like Cherrick. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'll accept it because like Nick said, we have the nostalgia for Gene and Famke Jensen and those movies, but within the context of the characters, it is it is just like really goofy. Of, like, <laughs> it's yeah. oh, it's used effectively though. You know, it's yeah. not just like, you know, Leo pointing at the screen like she's back. It's, it's it would have been really weird to have an like emotional core. the back of yeah. Gene's head. You know what I mean? Or like yes. red hair fluttering on the side of the camera. Yes. Yeah. And so they land in Tokyo. We get like cool Logan looking out the window. Like, oh, Tokyo. And mm-hmm. we're introduced to the Sonata family, which is mm-hmm. one of the coolest parts of this movie is that Logan is thrown into like act three of this epic family saga about yeah. like crime and right. b- betrayal and honor. And he's just like, Yukio is like, oh, that's, that's his son, Shenzhen, played by the legendary uh, hero Yuki. Oh my God, no. I effed up. It's Hiroyuki Sonata. That's the actor's name. And the Yoshida family. The Yoshida family. Yeah, Ishiro Yoshida is like the matriarch. Shinjen is like the son who is Mariko's father. And Mariko is like the granddaughter. We're led to believe that she's like the youngest in the family. Right. And Mariko is like the adoptive sister. So there's all these layers. And it's so... And I love... we're, we're, We're in that house for like a good 20 minutes, right? That's true. I mean, there's a lot to catch us up on. I mean, yeah. we it's it it's both a small and a large story. It's small in the sense that like we're dealing with the same kind of six or seven people throughout the entire movie, and most of them mm-hmm. are new, um, but large in its themes and its history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like Mariko's like fierce loyalty to the family, but then also like I'm not. It's very like the dude from Game of Thrones, Lily Allen's brother. Oh, Theon. Theon, yeah, who was like, yes. you're not really a Stark, like, fuck off. He's like, oh, but I am. Right. And here I am. Yeah. I love Hiroyuki Sonata. Like, he's such, yeah. he's such a good actor. Always like, it. I, I just, like, he was so good in season two of Westworld, and I love him in this movie. He's, like, such a, he's such a, there, like, he finds this really perfect balance of, like, like assumptive power, mm-hmm. but that kind of asshole, that kind of jackass. But then also this g- sweaty desperation 
without ever feeling like like desperate like too sniveling there's a dignity to him yeah even when he's being like yes. filled with menace and whatnot yes absolutely yeah. he's not it's worm so tongue he's good. yeah yes trying yes. to make the best it's of the situation such a good performance there's a scene with shenzhen and ishiro when he's like in the the cool sci-fi hospital bed and <laughs> there there isn't even they don't even say it it's all implied, but he's like, you're not getting the company. I'm giving it to Mariko. But it's all just in facial reactions and him like guffawing. And it's like, yeah, so it's such a good scene. Yeah. Yeah. It's this. I, and I love this whole set of this compound. Yeah. I, I just think it's gorgeous. They get to do some really cool, exciting lighting techniques every time we're in this sequence, whether it's an action sequence or, or whatever. I, I, I love this set. Yeah, I just think it's like I think at, it's really cool. At the late later in the movie, when Harada and and the ninjas are there, and they're kind of like, oh, yeah. taking out Shinjin's men one yes. by one, and you you like see things like through the doors, and you see shadows and movement, and th- this set really lends itself to sort of those quiet, tense moments like that. Yeah, because you you it's, see, it's, it's nice to come back to it. Yeah, because yeah. like, Yukio kind of takes Logan through that little tour and the audience gets to see like oh all the wind all they're all gets all connected it's like a full you yep. a layout yeah i love the grooming scene where they they force logan <laughs> to get groomed and and he just is like a he's just like a dog that's just like nope i just i i don't i don't like this i don't want to <laughs> I don't want to be, nope, I don't want to be here. And like, just keeps trying to like crawl out of the thing and they keep shoving him back in yeah. and scrubbing him somewhere. It's, it's really, it's a lot of and fun. And you know, it's moments like that. Cause we were talking about Logan briefly and yeah. Logan is such an oppressive watch. Yes. It's, yeah. I, there's like very little fun moments in that movie. And it, yeah. it's fun watching Mangold and Jackman have fun in this world in yeah. a way that they don't get a chance to do with something like Logan. And also emphasizes kind of like his return to being the Wolverine, you know, because like, you know, what what climaxes with him with like the cigar and the jacket later in the movie, he kind of slowly evolves back from the the cave dweller Wolverine at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. So it's it also has a thematic resonance. And I, I, you know, that's something we see a lot in Logan as well. But yeah, there's it, a moment where he comes consistent. out. He comes out and he's like, look, he looks like Wolverine again. And, and Yukio is kind of like fangirling. And it seems like that more than like, oh, he's hot. It's like, oh my God, he looks like he does in, in, in my action. Figures. Yes. Yeah. It's <laughs> him. He like a caveman anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it also, that sequence reminds me a lot of like the grooming sequence in Beauty and the Beast when like Beast is getting <laughs> yeah. groomed. It has that energy. Man, he definitely would have crushed. I mean, the age difference would have been too weird and when they did live yeah. action. But uh, well, he was Gaston. That was like his first. So later that night, Viper, who we who we meet, is introduced as like Ishiro's like caretaker doctor. Yeah, comes in and like spits Viper. Oh my god! Yeah, so we get the whole plot of like Ishiro lays it down of like, hey, I'm going to, I found a way to take your immortality away and give it to me. Mm-hmm. I will get your powers, and you can get the opportunity to li- live a normal life and then die. Right. And it rattles Logan, and he doesn't, he just refuses because he th- doesn't think it's possible. Right. Like, it doesn't, it's not so much like, no, I'm, I don't want to die. It's like, you're full of it. I've heard this before. No one can undo what happened to me. You can't change the past. Good night. Yeah. And then Viper comes and like spits at him. And that's what kind of starts the, the, the degeneration of his healing factor. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she like spits the the spider thing into his mouth that yeah. like wraps around his heart. I don't, yeah. yeah, I don't know if we need to talk about how hard Viper sucks yet. But okay, so so the thing with Viper is that this casting, the actress that plays her Svetlana, I'm not even going to begin to pronounce her that last name. It's something like Swedish. So she was a last minute casting because originally this was supposed to be Jessica Biel. Whoa. Yeah. Jessica Biel was was cast as this or was going to be cast. But then Fox decided like, you know, (laughs) her people, her people felt like she was worth more. And Fox was like, no, she hasn't had a hit in a while. She's really not worth that much. And then it was just, it, you know, uh, conversations broke down. But this was supposed to be Jessica Biel's role. And it, mm. it was hers until basically right before they f- first started shooting, which is when they cast this Swedish woman. My biggest issue with this, this being Jessica Biel, fine. That would have been okay. My biggest issue is that, like, I just don't, I, I didn't want it to be a white lady. I don't know. I feel like it would have been better if it was just, like, another Japanese actress. And I think right away that would have been a better, a better character than what we got. I, she is a little generic. I don't think that she, like, I, I like how she fits into the plot of everything for the movie. But, like, the execution of this character is is like not great, and I think it's I think it's because she just doesn't kind of she doesn't really fit. Into she seems like everything that's it, going it's on. It's like she escaped from X Men Origins Wolverine. A little bit, yeah. She's like yeah. in that kind of world, and we're in this world now, and it just she never fits into the movie that we're watching. Yeah, it's like no. I, I wish I would have known why she was there. You know, if she was some some like American doctor who came and like wanted to steal the formula or something like that and had right. like her own motivations, I think it would have been more interesting. Oh, uh, she could have worked for Mr. Sinister's company, Essex. Right. And, yeah. And I just have to assume like they're paying her well <laughs> otherwise. Because yeah. and that doesn't that's not a strong motivation. It's hard to connect with yeah. that. Cause she yeah. she also feels like a fish out of water with this this family drama going on. Yeah. She's a a Hydra agent in the comics. Ooh. Um but they don't reference that obviously sure, here because of yeah. you know because of because of Marvel stuff. Studios but yeah. So Ishiro dies quote quotation marks and uh, the next morning is uh the big funeral scene where there's like media and like politicians are there. We meet Mariko's fiance who's like the dis- the head of the crime district or whatever, the commissioner of crime. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Feels, dis- district. I feel uh, so American. Uh, it's like Minister uh, of Justice. Yeah, you're exactly yeah, right. Minister yeah, Minister of yeah, Justice, yeah. 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 And um, we get the so, cool, like, Logan's the first one because one of the monks has, like, sketchy tattoos. And I love this whole sequence. It's yes, yeah. it has it goes ham. It goes on and on and on. it's such a long action yeah, sequence like, and it rules. Yeah, like because well, you get the train too. Technically, yeah. yeah. So many different. Like I, this is where we get. Uh, I, I thought his name was Haneda or Haneda, but the Archer guy. Yes the the former lover. Yeah, because like you're like, oh, is he a good guy? He's helping Logan, so I guess he's a good guy right now. And. It's it's just yeah. really and it's uh, really cool seeing like James Mangold getting all these toys to play with. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, something I really really like about um, this whole action sequence because I kind of consider like the chase through the city and the bullet train to be pretty much the same sequence. Um, right. You know, in in the, for the chase through the city, there's a really strong sense of like 
geography, being able to see things like from above and below. And I feel like a lot of times these movies, it sort of just blends and you're like, okay, they're still in the city. But with a chase like this, it just feels a little more almost like the early born movies just feels a little more grounded in, in being able to to not just like get very quick shots of buildings in the background, but actually. Yeah, um, with having the archer through. guy there as yes. like a, you have a character reason to put the camera in these different angles and kind of place everything. Yes. And then also the fact that by this point, Logan has been poisoned or has has the little spider thing yeah. on his heart took a shotgun I to think, the stomach yeah and it raises the tension by so much that he can't heal right away we're so used to him just like you know 50 times a movie gets slashed and then it heals in front of us but by bringing him down a notch and handicapping him a bit i think the the action sequences are so much more interesting like on the on the top of the train like i I don't want to see Logan fight a hundred people who he can take down in one hit. I want to see yeah. him struggle to fight five guys. And yeah. it's it's just so much more visceral and it, it's so much more satisfying when like he tricks the guy and in, into jumping up into the the overhang of the the train that um it's it's not there, there's a lot of examples of boring action in movies nowadays. And I, I think that they lack the tension. Of you know, like Neo wiping out three hundred clones and stuff like that. It's um, it's so much more interesting to have him almost outmatched by just a a, a small group of non mutants. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I I absolutely love this sequence. I love that we go, we start at the funeral and then move to like Tokyo Street and we go through that. Yeah, we go through a foot chase that goes through like a casino, like arcade. Thing. Oh, the Pachenko mm-hmm. parlor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love, I loved that. And then, and then, yeah, and then the bullet train sequence really rules. It might a be lot. Wolverine's finest hour. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. the the speed. It's it, it's yeah. The humor. It's like you're you're you know you're watching a good action movie when you're also like emotionally with the bad guys too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. I I remember in the lead up to X2, there was a lot of talk about like, this is the movie where we get to see Wolverine unleashed and we get to see like Wolverine full force. And I feel like in this one, it's just that the entire time. Like it's all the Wolverine action that I would want out of a Wolverine movie. And I I think that's that's a big strength of the director's cut is some of those more visceral, uh, I mean, frankly, violent moments feel like Wolverine and and not just uh fox action movie so this is when the movie sort of finds its second dial or its second speed of becoming kind of like a slow burn bodyguard love story where logan takes it upon him he has a heat without knowing it he has a purpose again he has a master and Mm -hmm. he's like i'm going to protect mariko i'm going to make sure that whoever the yakuza whoever this is i'm going to protect her and she's like, I don't want your protection. I'm fine. And he's like, no, because you're not like me. I've been hunted and hunting for hundreds of years. Uh, and I love it. I love like the slow, like the train conversations when they finally get to the, the fishing village or when they get to Nagasaki again. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Well, that, that's mm-hmm. way later. But first they, they get to the love hotel, which we is get our uh, Blade Runner 2049 scene of the yeah. transparent woman in the rain with the cyberpunk background. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I love the visuals of, of the Love Hotel, and um, 
it's it's just great how they use the setting in this movie it's not it doesn't feel like a back lot in atlanta um yeah and and then through all of this you know wolverine's getting shot and is <laughs> suffering and almost passing out constantly yeah so like viper um, and some bad guys like catch up with them and they he's getting his ass kicked and mariko has to save him and then take him to a vet mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> Take him to a vet where he belongs. <laughs> Large animal. <laughs> In comparison to like the first Wolverine movie, where I, I I felt like he was so unchallenged as a character. Yes, this movie is obs- fixated on like poking holes in this guy and challenging him and putting him out of his comfort zone. Yeah, because yeah, immortality isn't that interesting. At the very least, it's not very tense. Right, and to to have him down a rung pretty much the entire movie um is just i mean he, he probably plays i think he's played wolverine nine times over like tw- 20 years or something like that and I, I know this is also kind of a point in logan but it's i i feel like i've seen him at his best and there's not too much else to do with that so it's it's cool that on his fifth or sixth outing here there's a new dynamic yeah because I, I, I like seeing him react to wounds that don't heal. Because his fighting style is, you're going to beat the living shit out of me, mm-hmm. but I'm going to heal, so fuck you. <laughs> and then I'm going to, like, I'm going to, I'm going to, like, wreck you as a result. But, like, that technique doesn't work for him when he doesn't have his healing factor. And so he's just like nearly passing out constantly. And I, I kind of like limping around and stuff. And I, and I love that because it, it adds this, this extra element of just like, Oh, right. That's what this is supposed to feel like. I don't even have any memory of what this is, Mm -hmm. what this felt like when I was a kid, when I wasn't healing instantly, Mm -hmm. you know? And so by the time they get to Nagasaki, he, needs a breather and yeah like mariko is like oh i need to take care of him as well and their dynamic is really interesting because this is when we start to like yeah like they go to nagasaki and he's like you know i was here right and she was like yeah like my grandpa always told stories about you you're basically you're kind of like a fairy tale character to me of like my grandpa told stories of the wolverine how he saved me and he would he'll protect you too little girl and like now you're here and it's just such this cool romantic and i like how the movie takes time i kept thinking about ike perlmutter scott and how Mm. he was always like cut this cut that we're not interested in his trauma we're not interested that's not why people see these movies and like it's cool that this this exists now um really slows down was that uh that's not ike perlmutter that was um tom rothman tom rothman there you go yeah that was (laughs) for sure yeah (laughs) <laughs> the emphasis on the comparison between Ishiro and Logan that we get in the Nagasaki scene, like when we get the flashback of of them finally coming out of the well mm-hmm. and looking around and, you know, in, in this movie, they talk about like how it would feel to live forever and watch everybody die. Ishiro mm-hmm. already did that 60 years ago. And that parallel between them, I, I, I think I'm just so impressed that the movie so effectively comes back to that theme between the two of them and how you know when you ask people what superhero power they want immortality is on the list and everybody wants it but like it is it is a curse in so many ways and it makes us question like why would somebody pursue that but we understand also why they would and 
it's great that it could slow down enough to be able to give us that that type of reflection. Yeah, there's this moment where Mariko says, like, my grandpa would always take me here to remind me that everything finds peace eventually. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, that makes me immediately think of the ending of Logan. And yeah, yeah. and that Logan is finally him finding peace in a lot of, mm-hmm. and like, wow, this really is like an underrated prologue to this movie. They really complement each yeah. other more than I think. Yeah. You know, yeah. people give it a share. Sure. Yeah. Love Logan doing chopping down a tree. I love superheroes doing yard work, doing chores. <laughs> yeah. I also love like he does that. And, and first of all, like this is, this is when he started getting into Hugh Jackman started getting like really into becoming um, a huge jacked man. Well, the, yes, but like the vein yeah. workout mm-hmm. that I, mm-hmm. I forget what that's called. Like it's, it was like a new thing that they started doing and they were like, yeah, you can make your veins pop out by not drinking water for two days. And he's like, okay, well, that seems safe and fine. I'm a movie star. <laughs> I'm 45 years old. And so this is, this is like the start of that. And it gets, it gets really intense in Days of Future Past and then in Logan it gets the most intense. But yeah, it's he's like chopping at this tree and I'm just like Jesus Christ man. <laughs> like it's just huge. But huge. but also like tight. there's a tightness to it. Yeah. It's like yeah, it looks like his skin hurts. Like that's the only way that I can describe it. Yeah. But yeah, I love him doing that and then just doing that. He's like I'm tired. Yeah. I don't know what the, what what is this? I don't know why. Because that's something you don't think about with his powers. It's like, oh right, a workout. He would heal from a workout instantly. Yeah, because that's what a workout it is breaking your muscles down. Yeah, and so like he's like, I why do I feel like shit? And it's like because you don't have your healing factor anymore. Like you you would take for granted yeah. the amount of stuff that your healing factor would do to you. Just yeah. overall, you know. Yeah, it's great. And so, like, I just love him being tired, and she like buys him an apple, and he was like, "Okay, cool." <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, this is kind of Beauty and the Beast a little bit. Yeah, and then we get yeah, like he doesn't he doesn't know that it's rude to put your chopsticks like, stick it because it looks like incense at a funeral. He does the kimono wrong, and so she's like, "This right. is how a samurai ties his kimono." Mm-hmm. And yeah, like it's fish out of water as opposed to like boorish Canadian, right? Um, How do you guys feel about the Wolverine Mariko sort of like chemistry romance stuff? Does it work? Because I don't know that it does. Like I, I like the idea of them having a, a a a friendship, a relationship in that way. Like they care about each other. I don't know that I like it dipping into the romance stuff really at all. It's at least more time and water is spent on it than the Gene stuff. Yeah, but it yeah. still feels pretty perfunctionary in the same way that what's her face from Wolverine felt very like, and he has to have a love interest, you know? Right, right. But at least with her, they did the smart thing, which was like they're already together, so we don't we don't need to show them getting together. They're just they're in, they're get together already. They're in love. You're coming in media res. Just roll with it. And it's like, oh, okay, fine. But like here, they're trying to convince us that they're falling for each other, and I don't get it. I don't. I don't think they have a lot of chemistry, not that kind of chemistry anyway. I think they're, they, they act off of each other really well, but like every time they do like nervous, sexy stuff, I'm just like, I don't, I don't know. I don't think I like this. I, I think the thing that makes me, that does make me buy in 
to the romantic subplot is how vulnerable Logan is at this point in the movie that, uh-huh. you know, if he were just like at full speed, she's basically not even falling in love with a person, you know, it, it's right. just, just kind of this machine, but she, she is now one of the very few people who knows Logan the most. And I think if anything, like, I, I don't think that had to turn into a romantic subplot, but right. I, I think that that helps that he's at his weakest and she's there. I really love both the characters and the story is really good. But yeah, like, I don't think as far. But then, like, uh, yeah, superhero movies aren't known for, like, their chemistry and romance being, like, the, the, good, the good stuff, unfortunately. Mm. Besides, like, Wanda, Man. Besides, like, WandaVision. <laughs> I don't think yeah. we would have lost much if we if we dropped the romantic subplot because she's still no. a character in her own right and right it, it, and he's still a hero so he's still gonna like care about doing the right thing yes and helping <laughs> yeah you know and you know like the second arguably the second most important person in his life in this universe is Rogue, mm-hmm. which is much more of like a mentor or peer to peer as he would see it you know mm-hmm. yeah and well. Funny you should say that because Mark Bomback tried to write Rogue into this movie and couldn't make it work. Oh no! But but he did try because because the original Frank Miller Chris Claremont story is the 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 four issue thing, but the the Silver Samurai aspect of it actually comes in with the two part sort of continuation of the Wolverine miniseries in Uncanny X Men. I think one forty three and one forty four. And uh, that's Chris Claremont and like Paul something. I forget his last name, the the artist. But Rogue is heavily involved in those two issues. And so, you know, and that's where Silver Samurai comes in and it's this whole thing. But like, I, it is interesting because I think you're right. And I do miss Rogue at this Mm -hmm. point because she was such an important part of the series. and, And, you know, I don't think she had... She should have had more to do in X3 than she actually does, especially considering like what her arc is about. It's like yeah. you would think that the whole movie would be focused around her, but it very much is not. And um, Thanks, Brett. So yeah, it would have been cool to have her here, for sure. Or even like to show that but, not all of his important female relationships have been romantic. There is yeah, precedence yeah. of him like finding these really strong friendships and not yeah. like making out with them. Uh, Though right. we, we do see that with Yukio. That's very and, true. I mean, yeah. there, there's that great line later where he's like, don't hit my friends. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm always a sucker for like healthy yeah. platonic relationships. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love Yukio and Mariko checking in on each other when they get to the house. That was, yes. that was just a cool little like moment of like, of course. Yeah. They wouldn't, they would like check in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So Mar- Mariko good. gets taken just as Yukio arrives in Nagasaki. And mm-hmm. they and Logan's like shit, and so they're in the car together. And you, he gets shot in the leg, so he's got to limp this whole the rest yeah, of the movie. Yeah, yeah, he does. And yeah, James yeah. Mangle's like, God, I, I, I love, I love shooting him when he's all beat up and stuff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's really cool. And, and Yukio's like, Hey, I saw you die. Mm-hmm. I so like tread lightly. Just a heads Just up. Heads up. <laughs> Just a heads up. <laughs> I know that's not going to stop you. And then we get to. Like plot stuff happens, you know, like the plot, the the literal plot is like unfolded. They go to uh, the minister of justice guy who's just, like doing like the Stewie Griffin sexy dance party. <laughs> 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 and we get like cool, like, you know, cigar chomping tough guy Logan for a scene. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Uh, like, ba- How'd you know that pool was down there? I didn't. Yeah. Love that line. That's so <laughs> <Yeah>. Logan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's good. And it's just like, I really like how, going back to what I said during the bullet train stuff, is that they got to have one like fun Wolverine movie, too. Yeah. Of like all the hits, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, really good. we're back at the house. Like Bat mentioned, we get the cool scene where as Sinjin is doing his evil monologue, we're seeing that a third party has arrived. I love that. Yeah. Of Ninja and the Black Ninja Clan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And it's cool. And now, and now Hanada, Hanada like, is like a bad guy now. And I just love the shifting alliances. And it's like, mm-hmm. now I'm with Viper. And it's like, you know, Game of Thrones, Succession kind of stuff. Yeah. 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 This whole sequence here where Shinjin like is sort of taken out or seemingly taken out for a second by Viper, which, you know, really like big performance. Mm-hmm. Like it works. He gets he gets Viper in the face and he like stumbles back 20 feet and then like falls, he falls the into the water <laughs> yeah <laughs> like it's it's a really big performance but i was digging it i think it's a lot of fun yeah. and also big but like this is a guy who's been pampered his whole life yes. who's probably not felt a whole lot of pain mm. and so something that horrifically painful of like oh my god my face is melting yeah would be like horrifyingly painful for somebody like that and so i do like how big it is Mm -hmm. because we previously saw him so reserved right and tense yeah right but this whole sequence where logan shows up and is like okay i'm gonna use this machine to dig this spider off of my heart by like he's just gonna cut a hole in his chest and just stick his fingers up his ribs and pull this thing out while uh, while this while, while sword um, fight going up and around oh, yeah, yeah while there's like a sword the fight Yukio going on the Yukio fight was nuts it's great it's so good it's so good I, I love how they just expanded the tension of all of that and he's like I can't see anymore <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah, just, like bump it out I'm of just the way. digging around blind in a, in a hole in my chest you know, it's like you're always gonna be a street rat like, shut up like decades of <laughs> pent up Oh, it's so good. Yeah. I love uh I love that whole sequence. It's gnarly. And then after that, we get the like don't hit my friends. And then we get the Shinjin Logan fight, which is also really cool. Yes. And so much more satisfying because throughout the movie he's been so wounded and so handicapped by all right. these, uh, you know, shot and, and all that kind of stuff. And now he's like full force. And it's so yes. satisfying when you finally see the the cut on his chest heel closed. Mm-hmm. And you're yeah. just like you're feeling it. You're ready for it. You know it's yeah. coming. When Shinjin uh, does land like kind of the classic samurai killing blow across the gut, he does win, but then Logan just heals. Yep. And and yeah. it hits Shinjin like, oh I can't beat this guy. Like yeah. he's the Wolverine. No, I love it. It's a little it's a little unforgiven. Yeah. You know, like mm. it's got kind of got that vibe of like of like, oh, I'm not going to have my, like, the healing factor is not picking up a gun, you know? Mm-hmm. And then you just, you're, like, waiting the whole movie for it to kick back in and get full-blown Wolverine. And when it does, man, it is hella satisfying. It just lands, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's really good. And we find out that Mariko has been taken by the Black Clan to the Ishiro's, like, base? Like, his base of operations in this, like, in yeah. this village? 500 kilometers away yeah and in like mount up he he, he right. gets on a motorcycle and he drives up there to save the princess from the castle right and this is i believe this whole sequence was like taken from the theatrical cut right 
like this raiding of the village? Uh, yes, I believe it was, or it was extremely truncated. It was either not in there at all or extremely truncated. And, um, all of the, uh, blood and any of that, like the violence was very muted and all of the blood was removed. Yukio driving. Like guys are getting uh, chopped up. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, Yukio like steals like a, like a, a wood chipper thing and is just <laughs> yeah. like running over a ninja. Yeah. Yeah. And like all, I don't think any of that was in the, it was in the theatrical cut. Yeah. I can um, almost kind of see their perspective. I guess the exacts because it's like, wait, he has a huge seat fight, then another huge fight, and then the finale. Like it's almost like too much candy. Well, I don't know. I you would think as a studio exact, you would want yeah, so weird. too much candy. So weird. Yeah, it's very weird. Um, I love all of this. Yeah, right? it's it's a really great sequence, and it like it 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 all culminates in that phenomenal shot of like all of the arrows in his back with the with the rope attached to him that's like oh man it looks it's it's so cool straight out of a comic book straight out of a manga yeah yeah Yeah. it's it's so great and and the whole thing with with viper being like uh all right so like when you when you see him you're gonna need this poison and he's like i don't need any poison he's like she's like cool well when you do need it here it is (laughs) like i i just i like how condescending she is uh, about that She's, you know, it's, it's, it's a thing. Viper is an interesting character because yeah, it doesn't feel like she belongs, but like, also there are moments that I, I do really like her in this yeah, yeah. and, and that's one of them. So I liked how she knows how to use her powers. Like she yeah. could just make one cut and then blow at a person's face and then, but know how to like stop it too. It's like her mastery of it is pretty cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, she can spit venom and antidote. <laughs> <laughs> so the the Yukio apparently the explosion like knocked. Oh, there's like a huge like like huge explosion where he's got the cigar, and I'm yeah. always like, oh, he's not gonna have a cigar when he comes back in the MCU because people aren't allowed to smoke. Yeah, um, yeah. But <laughs> I didn't even think of that. <laughs> it's all it's all I think about. <laughs> so like, or he'll say like, no thanks, I quit or no. something like that. <laughs> Smoking's for losers. <laughs> Logan wakes up and he's strapped to a machine and we have now entered where most people say the movie takes like a steep downward slope. Right. There's like a huge silver samurai armor is there and it activates and like Logan's fighting it. And you know what, what I thought upon this watch through going back to this being kind of a workman's movie. Yeah. It's like, Cause it's like, I, I never, I've never heard of anyone being like, and you have to throw in a big samurai in there too. Like he needs to fight a big samurai. So maybe it was like, well, these are how these movies end, you know? And like, well, I don't even, I don't even think in the extended cut, I think it, it feels better than it does in the theatrical cut. I think sure. that there's a lot of air trimmed out of the theatrical cut so that it's kind of just like, oops, all fights and <laughs> all, like all sense goes out the window. Whereas in the, in the extended cut, it feels paced really well. Mm-hmm. I, I, and I, you know, I like the cut cutting back and forth between Wolverine and the silver samurai and Yukio and Viper Viper and Yuki. Yeah, yeah. Yukio and Viper. Like, I like those two sequences. I like Viper like shedding her skin. Like, I think that's yeah. kind of cuts cool. it and peels yeah. it off. It's a cool visual. Yeah. Oh, we get Hanada's sure Hanada's final heel turn or good guy turn where he's like, master, yeah. this isn't the way. And I'm like, I love how he just bopped around the whole movie. Yeah. 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 They could have learned something 
to better use Hawkeye. Hey, oh. <laughs> I was just thinking, I was thinking the whole time watching this, I was like, they should have just made Clint Asian. That would have been cool. Um, like, <laughs> instead of in a, in a universe of full of white people, maybe the whitest person in the MCU. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Adam, arguably, the adamantium claws getting broken is brutal. Yes. It, that yes. I, I like how much time they took for that because it like you feel the bottom drop out because like we just got so excited that he got his powers back fully. It took fifty arrows and ropes to bring him down, and then yeah. he's 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 back down again. And the the visual of like the inside of the claws, like I guess I assumed it's just like metal that kind of comes in and out, but yeah. then he realized like it's part of his it's his bones, like it is part yeah. of him. Yeah, the the pain I can't I, I just can't imagine. And after and it's weird, right? Because you feel the pain despite the, it. They did the same thing in X Men Origins where Victor steps on the claws and breaks them. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's this weird thing where like you feel a visceral, like empathetic pain that doesn't you can't act. It doesn't actually exist. You don't have bone claws. Right. Like you don't know what that would feel like. But also you kind of yeah. do. Hugh Jackman um, is really great at feeling pain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember this being a big point of contention for people. Ah. The fact that the claws could be cut off because in the theatrical cut, they make no reference to the fact that the Silver Samurai suit and sword are made of adamantium. Shut up. So, really? Y- yes, they cut all references to that in the theatrical cut. So people are like, so just hot metal can just cut through adamantium? Like, it doesn't matter? Like, I remember that was a thing. At the time, mm, ah, it's such a weird and in cut. the extended cut, they explain it that they're yeah, like, he's, he's, like, yeah, it's, he's been stockpiling out of Mantium for years, and you're like, well, why? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, because he's making the suit. Yeah. yeah, he like bankrupted the company by doing it. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. That's true. It really represents like his corruption and his obsession with this that he was willing yeah. to throw out like his family's legacy to build a samurai robot. Yeah, and there's a cool moment where you find out that Shenzhen like covered for him because he loves his dad that much and almost yeah. you know kind of adds pathos to that character too. Like he's not mm-hmm. just like a screw up son. And that you know, it, it just it feel I like how it feels like a culmination of all this family drama. Yes. Yeah, it really all comes together. It doesn't feel like, you know, just wrapping up the A plot. Um, mm-hmm. Feels like everything came there. And I, I think the fight's really cool with, with the adamantium samurai and everything. But it is really emotionally effective when it's revealed that it is Ishiro inside. And mm-hmm. it it's just the how how far he was willing to go and like how inhuman he was willing to become in order to hold on. I... I don't know. It, it hit me pretty hard. Like I, I obviously I remember it, but it just it it lands really well because it's just so damn sad. Like you, you just this guy's been through so much, and he he betrayed everybody in his life to get this, and yeah, well, including yeah. the guy, the including the guy who saved him. Yeah, mm-hmm. this guy that that yeah. we know the whole movie has spent so much time to build up Ishiro's reverence for Logan. And like mm-hmm. what he what he thought what he had learned from him and yeah just taking the time to like make him feel like a real character and not just like the villain in a Wolverine movie, right, right, yeah. And I love I love what they did with the Silver Samurai because you know in in the comics Silver Samurai is just a guy. <laughs> I mean he's he is him he is Yoshida that is who the yeah. Silver Samurai is. But they've they've 
tweaked his whole backstory and all of that. But yeah, he's just a guy in a silver samurai outfit. It's not made of adamantium. He's not a nine foot nine foot tall mech suit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a just a samurai dude, and he's kind of you know he's kind of uh I, I don't want to say like a a gun mm-hmm. for hire, but like you know it is it is similar to that, and it's it's a level up. Yeah, it's definitely a level up, but I think it's I think it's an interesting level up and I and I like it as something for Wolverine to fight. Yeah. You know, I I I like seeing Wolverine have to fight like what he thinks is a giant robot to a point. And yeah. it's uh it's really cool. He uses the sword because he doesn't have his claws anymore, kind of symbolic right. of him learning to honor this land that he's been in of like using both hands, right. like, oh, I got to fight right. their way, not my way. That's right. Yeah. 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 The only thing that this movie I think is missing that, you know, I I would have liked to have seen is more Wolverine training yeah. to fight mm. in a way that doesn't involve getting the shit kicked out of him and healing, like learning to fight like a samurai or like a ninja mm. so that like when we get into this last fight, it's like, oh, he has his healing factor and he can fight like this and not have to take a hit. Like having those two threads sort of like come together yes. in the third act Old dog, would have been a really cool way. Yeah, because yeah. otherwise he is a Wolverine. He's just vicious and blind and just ripping right. because right. he can because he's not going to get hurt doing that. And the, yeah. the composure and the, the, the quiet that comes with mastering the sword you're right, is is big growth for him. And, yeah, yeah. you know, it's not just, like, the next adventure of Wolverine. He's right. a different person at the end of this movie, and I think that's that, that's the biggest reason why this movie deserves a higher spot in in the franchise's reputation, in my opinion. It's just, it, it is, it's it's not just an episode in the series. It is it is right. a moment for Logan. Yeah, and, and yeah. when we get to the end, sort of the, the denouement, I guess, of like you know the evil's been stopped mariko is going to inherit the company and presumably run mm-hmm. it with ambition but also dignity and you know and, and and goodness and logan's like ready to re-enter the world he's mm-hmm. been gone since last stand and he doesn't even know what the world is like now but he's ready to join it again and it kind of hit me with this unexpected weight of like i feel this because mm-hmm. i feel and i like i love how Scott Frank and James Mangold and Mark Bombach included Last Stand in making it part of this journey instead of like erasing it. Of you feel the absence and the return, and like you're hyped that Wolverine yes. is back. And in a way, it's it's similar to what they do with Logan. Is is they they keep the things that work with the story and make it more effective, and then the things that people might argue about but aren't as as crucial to the plot, they pretty easily discarded with and it's kind of like the 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 claws at the end of this one you know we we don't get that that exposition scene in the next movie of his adventure of how he got his claws back or something like that because it doesn't matter his growth is what matters and um they focused on the right parts that being said it's like a, a big a big disappointment knowing that yeah we never see yukio again and mm-hmm. like Brian Singer was, is, or whoever you know, whoever was given the ball next had no interest of like honoring this character's fate or future. I mean, yeah. even like it's actually kind of a bummer that in the it, by the stinger she's already gone. Yes, yeah, because it's like t- two yeah. years later that first scene is like bah, 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 by myself. She's just written out. I'm like, yeah. oh, okay, fuck yeah. me, I guess. Like, yeah, yeah. There's just like no 
point to her at that point, which really, which really sucks. I will say, uh, going back to the the sort of like my wish for mm. more training stuff yeah. in this of like him learning the way the way of the sword or, or what have you. It would have been really cool if he would have been working with the Black Ninja crew or whatever. And then, like, I know there's the del- very famous deleted scene from this movie mm-hmm. where he opens up a case and gets the Wolverine costume I- as, like, it was like a stinger at the end in- mm-hmm. on the plane. Would have been really cool if he got that costume and it was, like, the thing that he earns for learning how to fight. Yeah. Like, now you're yeah. the Wolverine. Yeah, yeah. Now, now you're, 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 yeah. Oh my God. There's um, like, you know how the Mandalorian has like an, the armorer? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The armorer of the Black Clan made you this to commemorate your victory or to honor your time with the clan. And it's like the suit. Yeah. And like, oh, that, he hadn't earned it yet. It would have fit. I mean, Shinjen had his own armor and everything like yeah. that. It- yeah. I just, I would have loved that because I would have loved to see him in that suit just one time. Mm-hmm. Like, I get it. It has no place in Logan. You know, it it has no place really in Days of Future Past either, you know, as we'll talk about next week. But it would have been really cool to just be like, okay, this is how we're going to do it. He's going to learn how to fight. And at the end of his training, they're going to give him this suit so that in this final battle, after he has his healing factor back, he's wearing the suit and fighting the Silver Samurai in the oh, Wolverine cause, costume. Because he needs armor for the first time. Yes. You know? Or he thinks yes. he does. Right. Yeah, he can't go in like you normally do with like a, a tank top and jeans, dude. Like, mm-hmm. you yeah, need to go in like a samurai. god. That would have been so cool. Yeah. That would have been so cool. <laughs> fits really well. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know how into the weeds we want to get with the stinger, but you know, Magneto's alive, mm-hmm. and written by written by Simon Kinberg and Brian Singer. They wrote it together. Okay. Gave it to James Mangold and was like, "Hey, go shoot this when you're doing your reshoots in Montreal." So this was shot in Montreal, and yeah, they shot it in a day. And James Mangold was like, "I don't know what any of this means, but I'm 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 pointing a camera at the actors. <laughs> I get to work with Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen for a day, right? <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, this is this is weird. This is a weird stinger. It doesn't really work as a setup for no. yeah for the next movie because like it implies for what I and we'll I guess we'll get into it next week with Days of Future Past, but it's like that takes place like. 20 30 years into the future if not more like you know when it's like full post-apocalyptic mutants in camps flying sentinels. it can't be i mean we'll talk about it but it can't be that far in advance because i think they said 50 years from the 70s okay okay so it would be in the 2020s so like it's just weird that yeah. the longest stretch of time in this saga is logan and professor x and magneto teaming up trying to uh, prevent the apocalypse from coming we never see what that looks like and the next time we see these characters the apocalypse has already happened well because they don't even know that it's going to involve like time travel or anything like that That, that's kind of spur of the moment in the next movie so they just know about sentinels as Wolverine is walking up to the security thing there's that commercial for for Trask Industries and it's like well that doesn't make any sense that's in the 70s What what is this what is this doing here I don't, yeah, I don't get it. I don't know. Then it didn't happen. Two, yeah, two years later means 2015, theoretically. Mm-hmm. So you're probably looking at like five to 10 years after that for the future. Got it. Period of Days of Future Past. Because Logan is 2029. Right. Well, that's after, that's kind that's of after, tr- that's oh, after that, he that's the reset everything. and everything. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll cross that bridge when we get to it, Matt. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's a bad post credit scene because it doesn't. It's 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 like exciting. The only purpose that it serves is like, hey, next movie's gonna have Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart back. That's it. That's all it serves, yeah. really. Yeah. Because we thought we thought we were never gonna see Ian McKellen again. And we thought Patrick Stewart was dead. Mm-hmm. Unless you watch that weird post-credit scene on X3. Unless you raced to your car the- <laughs> yeah. as, as Last Stand was ending. Yeah. Which some people like, do. And it, it's it's inconsistent too, because like we we dealt with the the fallout of Gene's death from Last Stand. And then right. it's just hand waved away with a single line that Xavier right. is back. And sure. and I know that like canonically there is an explanation for it though it really isn't explored on screen that well at all. You're not the only one right. with powers, Logan. I possessed a veget a man in a vegetative state and I'm now hypnotizing you to make you think that his body is my body. <laughs> <laughs> it's just and will yeah, for the remainder of my life. Not it, it's just not interesting. Um No. And it it, it feels so tacked on. Mm-hmm. It um, does. Yeah. It definitely does. But that's the Wolverine. That's the Wolverine. If you guys have not seen the extended cut of the Wolverine, watch it. Check it out. Because I think you are going to be very impressed with how good it is. It is so much better than the theatrical cut of this movie suggests that this... Like, I think that's the reason why the ratings for it are so low is because the, the theatrical cut was such a bummer compared to like what they were being pro- what everyone was being promised ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And then the movie comes out and you're like, well, this is kind of, this, this is like barely two hours. I think it's even under two hours. And, and you know, this isn't, this isn't what we want. The default version of the Wolverine on iTunes is the, the extended cut. The theatrical cut is actually in the extras. And oh, that's cool. It, oh. it, it feels like it's kind of like the, the definitive version of the movie, at least in its, in its digital release. The only difference is they cut this really. F- I'm sure there's like breath moments that are that were unnoticeable, but mm-hmm. it's like, oh, this is the version with a really cool action scene they cut out for some reason. So yeah, definitely. Right. Yeah, definitely, definitely watch this version. Don't ever watch the theatrical cut again. <laughs> All right, and that means next week we've got Days of Future Past, which is going to be an interesting conversation. I think. Oh, yeah. Some say the best it ever got. That's what some people say. <laughs> We'll, 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 we'll see how that goes next week. All right, everybody, check out our Patreon. That's duelinggenre.com slash support. We do bonus content every week, Dueling Genre versus Dueling Genre Tonight, and a new bonus thing each week on Fridays. So check out all of that stuff. That's duelinggenre.com slash support. Check out our Discord. You can go to duelinggenre.com and find a link for that. Follow us on Twitter at Franchiseography and uh, share your X-Men franchise memories with us franchiseography at duelinggenre.com tell us what you guys want from uh, the marvel studios x-men like what do you what do you want that to look like let us know we'll talk about it in our next in between episode thanks so much for listening everybody and we'll touch you next week bye, bye. bye.